Good morning, family. Good to see all of you here. Uh, This is the fourth in a series of seven sermons on what it means to be a church family in mission together. And we're calling it our identity in mission. In other words, who are we and what is it that we are called to do together in mission? Now today, I would like to approach this through our new church logo. Uh, You might have noticed inside the bulletin a a new logo there. You're going to start seeing it on different uh, pieces of literature and so on. So I want to put it in front of you today. Um, You know, we went through a season of about two years of recasting our vision and our mission and our motto, and you see some of the summaries of that up in front of you every Sunday when you come in here. Um, And once that was all in place, we talked with a local um, graphic artist and asked him, we gave him all the material, new vision, new mission, new motto, and we said, would you make something out of this? And uh, this is what he's come up with, and I kind of want to walk you through it. Uh, The words are clear, New Life Church Philadelphia. We got that part, all right? So I want you to have a little fun with this today. It's one of these things. Do you remember those pictures that you had to look at, and after a while you would see something inside, you know, in the picture that you didn't see at first? Well, this is our logo. What I love about it is it's, it's, it's clean and, you know, simple, but there are some layers of, of meaning to it, and I kind of want to walk you through that. Uh, look right at the middle of that box. What do you see in the middle of the box? It's a cross, folks. It's a cross that everything we are and everything we do is centered around the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, within that box, what do you see around the cross in the corners of that box? What does that look like to you? Pretend it's an aerial view and you're looking down upon it. You see people, yes. You see their heads are toward the cross, they're... They're, they're around the cross. They're little stubby arms. I'm sorry they didn't get hands, but, you know, they're reaching out to each other. It's a family. It's a circle of people gathered around the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, um, you can't really tell in that slide very well, but what color are those people? Do you know? They're green. That they have an alien righteousness. That is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes, they are green. They're not black, white. They're not Latino. They're not Asian. They are, but they're not. We are a family of nations, but we are green people. (laughs) We are green people because green is the color of life. And what we have together that brings us around the cross of Jesus Christ into a family of nations is the life of Jesus Christ. We're alive in him. Now, you see on either side of that box, you see some arrows going out to the right and to the left. And what that communicates is motion, that this is not a static, stagnant thing. This is something that's on the move. And that represents the mission and the ministry. That We don't stay in the box, right? We always stay around the cross, but we're out. We're moving out in mission. We're moving out in ministry, carrying the gospel with us uh, everywhere we go in the world. So that's our new logo. 
an attempt to summarize, you know, some things about, key things about our vision and our mission. Um, So, today, keep looking at it if you don't see it yet. I had to look for it. I had to look at it for a while. I needed help. Other people said, do you see this? Do you see that? And then, you know, I felt better. So, it's okay. You have to look at it for a little while. Um, Today, um, I'd like to take up... um, I'd like to take up the challenge of maintaining a clear identity and mission focus in everyday life as we actually live it. Because we're all, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a pretty full life, a pretty busy life. We've got a lot going on. There's a lot on the plate. And um, how do we maintain a clear identity and a, and, a, and a mission focus in the midst of our busy lives? And if anything, we're moving into an even busier time of year, aren't we, with the holidays approaching and everything kind of ramps up. So the title of the message today, you, like me, you probably have a lot of people in your life and you're living out your life before an audience of many, but you're also living out your life before an audience of one. And that's the title of the message today, Audience of Many, Audience of One. And our text is Galatians 3, 26 through 29, but we won't read that right at the moment. I'd like to start uh, with a case study. I'd like to start with an example today. Late on a Friday afternoon, a woman leaves her office and drives home, delighted that she is finally done with work for the week. On her drive home, she begins to think about how she will use her free weekend. But then she remembers she has to get up at 6 o'clock the next morning to drive her daughter to a gymnastics meet that is in the next county. While she is there, she might as well stop at the outlet mall to look for a new dress because she has to go with her husband to the company party tonight, uh, tomorrow night. Um, And then a few miles further down the road, she decides that in between her daughter's gymnastic meet and her husband's office party, She'll try to squeeze in a visit to her mother, who is in an assisted living apartment at a nearby retirement community. So there goes her free Saturday. As she continues to drive, she hopes that the party tomorrow night does not go too long because she will need Saturday night to prepare her Sunday school lesson for the junior high class at her church. So then she thinks, well... At least there is Sunday afternoon left. But no, she then remembers that she promised to bake brownies for the home and school meeting and to spend some time working in the yard with her husband. Oh, and she also promised her boss that she would have the revisions to that legal brief done and on his desk by Monday morning. She has not even made it to her driveway on the commute home from work on a Friday afternoon, and her weekend has already devolved into a kind of chaos of competing demands upon her life. The hard part is not just that there's so much to get done on her quote-unquote free weekend. No, the hard part is that she is expected to fulfill a variety of roles in each of these assignments. Her children expect her to be the provider of their needs and encourager of their dreams and the always available taxi driver. Her husband expects her to be his partner, a contributor to the family finances, a homemaker, an encourager when he is down, 
and a charming companion for social events. Her boss expects her to be productive and get the work done, no matter what the cost or the circumstances. Her children's school and her church expect her to be a volunteer, uh, to serve. And then her mother, well, her mother expects her to be a daughter who listens to her when she tries to tell her that she's doing too much. This repeated language of to be this and to be that goes to the heart of the question, who are you? Who are you? Who gets to tell you who you are and what you do? That woman's weekend is by no means an exceptional case study or depiction of life today. I could have made the example about a college or high school student, a single person, a husband, a retiree. All of us know about the challenges of conducting a busy life. But again, the real problem is not how much we have to get done. The challenge is that we have to keep changing identities as fast as we change clothes. You can't be exactly the same person at home that you're expected to be at work. You can't be exactly the same person you are as a parent as when you are just out with your friends. You can't be exactly the same person at church as you are when you are with those who don't really care about your sins and don't want to hear about it or talk about it. Sometimes you're expected to be encouraging and empathetic. At other times, you're supposed to be hard-hitting and competitive, maybe even intimidating. In other words, sometimes you are the lamb, and at other times, you are the wolf. So all of us have a hard time understanding and keeping straight our identity. In a book titled The Saturated Self, isn't that a great title? The Saturated Self, you feel a little saturated sometimes. The saturated self. Sociologist Kenneth Gergen claims that one of the great challenges to contemporary life is that we all feel a little bit like con artists. We just keep assuming roles in order to earn the approval or the trust of others and be on their good side without ever really stopping to ask if this is true to who I really am as a person. Again, sometimes we're the wolf, And sometimes we are the lamb. And the problem with this bifurcation is that our hearts cannot keep up with it. Our hearts cannot keep up with our schedules. And it's not long before the wolf breaks out in a place where you were supposed to be the lamb. Have you ever had that happen? I have. Just last week. And that is when you hurt the people you love the most. And it's usually caused by some kind of identity confusion and frustration and exhaustion. When I was growing up, this is going to date me, I know, there was a very popular game show on TV called What's My Line? Anybody ever watch that? Some of you remember that? It dates you too. Uh, I I don't know if it's in syndication or not, but it was a really interesting program. Three contestants would sit before a celebrity panel, and these three contestants would talk about some kind of strange job. And one of those three people actually did that strange job. 
But all three of them talked about it like, it, you know, it's my job. So the celebrity panel is trying to figure out, you know, who is it really of the three? Who has that odd job that we're talking about here? And the other two are con artists. They're imposters. So when it came time for the real person with the strange job to stand up, do you remember what would happen? They would all start to stand up. They'd be like, oh, they'd all start up. And, oh, then they'd sit down. And, oh, they'd be up and down. And you, you didn't really know who it was going to be. And finally, until the actual person rose to his or her feet. I think of that show when I talk to people who are confused about their fundamental identity. What's my line? You know, when do I stand up? (laughs) Is it for being a spouse, a parent, a worker, a volunteer, a friend? Uh, When am I being true to who I am, and when am I being an imposter? This is a challenge that we all face. Our lives are busy. Our lives are full. Now, we've come to know, we who have trusted in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins and have received a new life in him, we've come to know that our identity is found and defined, really defined in Jesus Christ. We've come to know that by God's grace, we are beloved daughters and beloved sons in the beloved son, Jesus Christ. And we've come to know that we're on a mission with God now. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Instead of being on our own little mission, making it up as we go along, we're actually on mission with God now. He's brought us into that. We've been called. We've been forgiven. We've been equipped. We've been sent together into God's mission to the world, carrying this good news about Jesus the Savior and Jesus the Lord to the broken and the lost everywhere we go. So how do we maintain our identity and our mission in the midst of our busy lives? Well, in our text today, the Apostle Paul offers some help. (laughs) We need the help of God. He offers some help to this common contemporary dilemma. So let's now read our text, Galatians 3, uh, verses 26 through 29. This is the word of God. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is really ground zero. We have to come back here over and over again. This is ground zero. Paul tells us that before we stood up to be counted in any of those identities that we have, we were baptized into the identity of Jesus Christ, who stood up for us. He stood up for us at the cross. And Paul reminds us that through that baptism, it's a baptism into his death and into his resurrection. 
And through that baptism, Paul says, you have now put on Christ. You've put on Christ. So if you want to know who you really are, you have to look at Jesus Christ. Over and over again. You have been engrafted, believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus. You've been engrafted into his very life. You've been engrafted into his image. You get your life from him. You get your identity through him. And that means that every other identity you have or every other identity you've been trying on is just a way of pretending. You've got to get to the core. When you were baptized into Christ and into his family, this redeemed family of faith, all the other identities are kind of shoved to the side for you. You pass through the waters of baptism with one unifying, defining center to your life. Who are you? You are someone who has put on Christ. You are someone who has become part of the Father's family. So you live in him. You are a bona fide, adopted, forgiven member of the Father's family of faith. You. You. Yes, you. So you're a true son. You're a true daughter. You are a true brother or sister to many, many others. And Paul is trying to get our attention. The Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention through this text because how do we define ourselves? He throws all of that out. And we're left in nowhere land unless we have put on Christ. He's saying all the things that we use to identify yourself, ourselves, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male, female, Republican, Democrat. Paul says, those are all going by the side. People are going to identify you that way, but you are one who has put on Christ. And that overrides all those other categories. It's amazing. And that means that if you belong to Christ, it's the language of belonging. You're his. You're not your own. You belong to no one else. You belong to Christ. You put on Christ. And that means that you're a descendant of Abraham. And Abraham is called in the scriptures the father of the faith. It's about faith. It's about trusting Jesus, belonging to him, and becoming heirs, inheriting the very kingdom of God, as he promised. So to live in Christ, we just have to scramble up... Uh, these things, don't we? Because we always boil it down to male or female or your, your race, your ethnicity, your job, your occupation, your gender, all these things. And Paul says, you have, do you remember that you've put on Christ? You've put on Christ. And that means you no longer evaluate your life by those categories or by how well you do at meeting others' expectations of you in those categories and identities of life. Now, your concern has become what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has designed for you to do as part of his mission to the world. What Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has designed for you. You, you, not someone else, you to do. 
So you no longer try to negotiate your way. Do you ever feel like you're doing that as you go through your week? You're like negotiating your way through your week. Um, Negotiating your way through conflicting roles, demands, expectations. If you've put on Christ, you're done being the con artist. Now you remain centered on the one role you have, which is being Jesus' disciple. That's the one role you have, being Jesus' disciple. And so you, in, in, in one sense, you just no longer allow the norms of family, friends, society to measure you, to measure your performance or your success. Now the only goal you have is to hear Jesus say to you at the end of your life, well done. Well done. You're going to hear those words someday. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Now, those who take seriously their identity as a Jesus person who is part of the Jesus family are just as busy as everyone else. We don't get a pass on being busy. You with me? We don't get a pass on being busy. We're just as busy. Much to do at school, at work, at home while also volunteering, maintaining good relationships, taking care of our health. But the only difference is that you're clear that you have only one boss. You have only one boss for all of those endeavors, all of those arenas of life. You have one boss. There's just one Lord. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. We read in Ephesians 4, verse 5. When when you've been baptized into the identity of Jesus Christ, well, he becomes the center of your life. You're baptized into his death and into his resurrection. So you, you go around in life dead to yourself and your sin and alive to him, to his righteousness, his forgiveness, this eternal resurrection life that he freely gives. And so... It doesn't matter how demanding life gets. If Christ is at the center, then the center will hold. Just like our new church logo, Christ is at the center. If Christ is at the center, then the center will hold. It might surprise you that Jesus has very high expectations for what you will do with this life that he's given to you and how you will serve his own his kingdom instead of your own that's very important but working hard it's never really been the problem for most of us okay we'll work hard but our stress is created when we forget who we are and when we forget who we are really serving and all of that is relieved by having one lord over all your life instead of many If you thought about the many lords you may have over your life, but you need one. As the old pietists used to say, to be baptized means to perform your life before an audience of one. Audience of one. I was reading an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, earlier this fall, and it was about 
a Philadelphia Eagle rookie quarterback, Carson Wentz. And there was a picture of him in this article with his arm cocked to throw the football. And you may have seen this picture somewhere. That's a great picture. And I noticed a couple tattoos, and I noticed the tattoo on his wrist. It said A of one. You see it there on his right wrist? A of one. And I said, what's that? And then it hit me. Carson Wentz is a believer, and he's, it stands for audience of one. That's what that tattoo is about, audience of one. I found that fascinating. He's playing in huge stadiums before tens of thousands of people. Some of them are going to love him, and some of them are going to hate him. Most of them are going to hate him today, I think, as they play out in Seattle. He's in these huge arenas, but he's playing for an audience of one. He's living his life, A of one, audience of one. And I thought, that is really cool. So you are just like Carson Wentz, all right? Never forget that. You're playing out your life with people all around you, your church, your family, where you work, where you go to school. You've got lots of people all around you all the time. Every arena of life into which you step, you've got lots of people, but you are actually playing before an audience of one, A of one. And I don't know about you, but I get into trouble when I forget that. I get into trouble when I neglect that. That really, I'm living out my life before an audience of one, and so are you. It's not that we don't love or care for the people who are in our lives, but we really have an audience of one, or we lose our way. And I think there's no time when this is more important than when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to making choices. And I, I think this been, has been revealed in uh, the recent presidential election. Uh, most of our difficulty comes from making choices um, because we have competing demands upon us, all of us do. If we have people in our lives, we have competing demands, don't we? Competing expectations. And so to do well with one of those demands means to disappoint someone with different demands. To give time to work means there's less time to give at home. And to give more time at home means there's less time to offer at work. So to spend your life doing one thing means you can't do another. Uh, To go means you cannot stay. To decide this means to decide not that. But you're never going to be able to navigate your way through these choices without knowing who is Lord of your life. Who is the one Lord of your heart? Is it you? Or is it someone else that you've handed that over to? Or is it Jesus? In her poem titled The Journey, Mary Oliver, and I'm not a big Mary Oliver fan, but I thought this poem had something to it. Uh, in, In this poem, The Journey, she depicts the heroism that is required of all of us in making significant decisions and choices in life that others may not approve of. It goes like this. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug 
at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Now, my point today is not to tell you to save yourself, you can't do that, or to do whatever you want, that never turns out well, or to just listen to yourself, that would be a disaster waiting to happen. No, no, no. My point is to tell you that your union with Jesus Christ through faith changes everything. Your union with Jesus Christ through faith, your identification with him changes everything. That union with Jesus Christ, it changes everything, and it also every day beckons you to grow closer and closer and closer to him until there's just a very thin line between his voice and your own voice, between what he is doing in the world and what you are doing in the world. That he is the Lord of that life that you're living and it's expressed, it's seen, you can touch it and feel it. He alone is the Lord of your life and the Lord of your conscience. But please hear me well on this point. It's easy to say that, but is it reality? I think we all need to take a hard look at that in our lives. Is Jesus the Lord of your life, the Lord of your conscience? He's the only one who can be. Anybody else who tries to do that is going to make a mess of it. You can't allow anyone but Jesus to be Lord of your life or Lord of your conscience anymore, just Jesus. And in that, when that happens, you find suddenly that there's a freedom to do something you could not do before, to live a life of love, where you genuinely care about people as Jesus cares about people, where you love people the way you've been loved by Jesus Christ. There's a very thin line between that because of your union with And so we find ourselves able by his spirit to trust him, to repent of our sin, to obey him anew. And we stop giving him lip service. Instead, we give him our lives. If Jesus is Lord, you will find that your identity and your mission in life in following him It's right there as his disciple. So what does that look like if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, as Christian author Bill Hull writes, I found these very helpful words. The problem is that many people believe the right things in their heads about Jesus, but do not follow him. 
I, I needed that to marinate in my heart for a while. The problem is that many people believe the right things in their heads about Jesus, but do not follow him. The solution is discipleship, which can be summarized as believing what Jesus believed, living the way Jesus lived, loving the way Jesus loved, ministering the way Jesus ministered, and leading the way Jesus led. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, who alone is capable of being Lord and Lord of all? So you're never going to make your way through the wild nights when the branches and the rocks have fallen on the road of your life. And you can certainly never handle disappointing other people with your many difficult choices unless you have clarity. Clarity that Jesus is your one and only Lord. You have to know who you are, but we will never know that. You will never know that without discovering whose you are. Do you know that you are his? Do you have full assurance that, as our text said today, you belong to Jesus Christ? so important. If you've been baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no question about that identity. You're marked in your baptism into Christ. You're marked as belonging to Christ. You are Christian. You are a Christ one. Your call is then to devote yourself to trusting this Savior and following this Lord Wherever he leads you into whatever arenas of life, whatever identities you have to have, those roles there, he will lead you. You know, it's such a privilege. You get to, you get to engage in the family that Jesus died and rose again to redeem and to create, and you get to be part of that. You have a family. You get to be engaging in his mission, the very mission of God, salvation for the lost and healing for the broken, that Jesus died and rose again. That's what he did to launch that mission. And then he says, come and join me in that mission. There are broken people, lost people surrounding you all the time. Do you see them? Do we see them? They don't know how to hold their lives together. They are trying desperately to do that. But they have too many hats to wear on a troubled head. They don't have the center, the center for their lives that will hold. You know, you have the same hope to extend to them that you have taken for yourself. And that hope is summarized well, I think, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, that the blood of Christ will cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That's, that's a deep cleansing. The blood of Christ is not content to just clean up the surface of our lives so that, boy, we, you look pretty good now. No, it's a cleansing that goes so deep. It goes to the bone. It goes to the conscience. How do we cleanse a conscience? All the stuff we've done that we shouldn't. All the things we haven't done that we ought to. How do we cleanse that conscience? It's the blood of Christ. It's powerful. It reaches deep to cleanse and doesn't leave us trapped in that cell, but sets us free that we might serve, imagine this, the living God. That's the calling you have in Christ, in his family. So as you live and share out, share that good news, just 
remember that you're playing out the drama of your life before the audience of one, the one who loved you and gave himself up for you at the cross. That is love. That is love, and that is lordship that changes absolutely everything. Audience of many, but audience of one. Amen?